This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. My guest today is Dan Dunn, former basketball player at Seton Hall University in the late 70s and early 80s, member of the Puerto Rican national team. He was actually even named to the Olympic team, but because that year in 1980 there was a boycott, he was not able to play in the Olympics. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He's also a coach and scout for the G League the Harlem Globetrotters, and much more. And as you can see, his backdrop is part of the NBA Assistant Coaches Program. We'll get that all in today. And as we know, you're also the owner of Full Court International, a company that primarily works on front court player development and coaching. Dan, welcome to Sports Jam. Doug, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pretty big honor to be on a, a, a Jersey broadcast. because It's uh, nice to hear somebody who talks regularly here. <laughs> well, uh, some people who uh, are familiar with what you are doing are, are glad to see you on the show. And those who don't know what it was like to be in the Seton Hall era in the late 70s and early 80s will be anxious to hear from you. But I want to talk first about Full Court International. You started that all the way back in 1992. Can you talk about how and why you started the company? Well, back in 1992, I started... Um the company on the advice of a couple of uh, friends of mine who I had, and I helped place them overseas. I said, you should be an agent. You should start an agency. So I looked into it and I did. I started a, a player placement agency and it went from, uh, I started 1992 placing players overseas. Uh, I don't want to say I was an agent per se. I was a player representative and I placed uh, male and female players and I placed 85% of my clients and, and teams overseas. And these, they, they weren't um, the Spain or the Italy's or anything like that. They were, <laughs> Ireland, Sweden, Finland, Luxembourg, the, 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 the lesser level uh, leagues. But the guys still, the, the, the guys and girls still had a chance to pursue their dream of playing internationally and playing uh, professionally. Um, when things started getting convoluted with um, FIBA getting involved and everyone and their cousins thinking that they could do agency work, uh, I, I stopped doing it because it was a second, it was a second full-time job do it correctly i uh, branched off and, and did mostly uh front court play development because as uh, you as you know as a basketball fan you see on the tv the big man play is not as fundamentally sound as it used to be because not many people know how to teach the proper techniques and how a big man should play so that's what i've been doing for the last 10 or 12 years i've um i was with the rochester razor sharks of the old premier basketball league a, a minor league that was a step below the old d league and i worked there for, i worked with their big man for two years and we won the, cha uh, the cha league championship twice matter of fact one of the players who i worked with is antoine broxy who's now the play development coach for the cleveland cavaliers and some of the things that he uses with his players at the nba level from the cleveland cavaliers i taught him at, on the, at the Rochester Razor Sharks in the Premier Basketball League. So it's fun paying it forward, so to speak. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you talked about it already. There is a huge difference in the game in the NBA mm -hmm. to the days when, when you were playing college ball, you went up against Patrick <clears throat> Ewing when big men still dominated the game. Yep. That has certainly changed. The, the era when Tim Duncan left and uh, a few others, Shaq, no mm -hmm. longer do the centers play the pivotal role, but they can be the missing piece of a championship and thus are still very important. Why has the game changed so much, Dan? I, I have uh, a couple of theories about that. And 
These are just my observations, my opinion. Uh, number one, not many coaches know how to coach a big man, how to use a big man properly. Uh, let's bring him out and set him, make, have him set a screen and then roll to the basket instead of getting the ball on the block, getting the ball to him, having him do an up and under, a jump hook, a pound the side. It's not glamorous. It's not ESPN worthy. It's not YouTube video worthy. Uh, second, uh, basketball now is more entertainment than basketball with the different color, different uniforms and Rip City, Cream City, all, all, all the different names on the uniforms and, and the music playing in the background and, and the dancers and all this stuff. It's entertainment now, and it's gotten away from the pure basketball that it used to be. Um, and, and, and again, third of all, it's, it's, it's not glamorous to, to bang and bruise inside. You know, and then the league has changed to to make money. The NBA has changed the rules to make money to make it harder for defenses to defend. And all the changes that have been made are for offense. You know, but then if you look back in the seventies, you had games one twenty to one thirty. You know, and with the run and gun league, and that was kind of shunned upon. The three point line comes in, and everybody wants to shoot the three point line now. And I'm not saying. Um, anything bad about against Seth Curry and, 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 you know, Reggie Williams and uh, Reggie Miller and guys like that who, who dominate the three point line, but it's, uh, it's taken away from the big men dominating, like you were saying to quote unquote, normal sized people, you know, guards having uh, more of an input, more of a, a say in the game. You were six ten when you graduated from high school and, yes. uh, and you had all kinds of accolades coming out of Long Island Lutheran High School, played there from 77 to 79, named honorable mention preseason All-American by Basketball Magazine in 1979. And then you are inducted into the Long Island Lutheran High School Athletic Hall of Fame in 2019. I bet that was special for you. Oh, that, that, was, a, that was a huge honor. Um, when I got the call in August from the athletic director at Lutheran, I thought it was one of my buddies pulling my chain. I was like, oh, Dan, Dan, it's da, 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 from Long Island Lutheran. The athletic, uh, we like to, I want to congratulate you for being uh, named the, uh, inducted to the Athletic Hall of Fame. I'm like, all right, who is this, really? <laughs> who, who is this? Who's, who, who put you up to this? Gerard put you up to this? Mike put you up to this? Who put you up to this? Who is this? And it took a while to, for me to actually believe that I, I, I was worthy and I was actually named to the Hall of Fame because I was. there were many other players who were much better than me, had better careers who have not been named to the Athletic Hall of Fame. And they say it wasn't just what they did on the court. It's also what they did in the classroom, how they conducted themselves, how they conducted themselves afterwards. And like, wow, okay. I, I never realized. I was just being the the man that my father, my brother, and my coaches taught me how to be. And then I, I, was, I was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted with, with being inducted into the Hall of Fame, which was huge because of all the great players that came from Long Island Lutheran. And, and I, I was, I was, I was in shock, but I was very, very proud, very proud. And well, you should be. And it's so interesting that you know a lot of times people think that, well, if you're an athlete, maybe your grades suffer. Well, that certainly wasn't the case for Dan Dunn. He actually was struggling with math until he became a basketball player, and it helped you be so much better in the classroom. Tell us about that. Well, I was uh, I was six four in in ninth grade. I had broken my foot playing playing tackle football with my friends. No, you know, you know, no give it. And the old days, how we used to do, Kelly out with the ball, and 
and I broke my foot, and I and I I was in a cast for when practice started, and my um, teacher, Mr. Urban, said I was struggling with the math, and he said, um, "Then are you going to be able to play basketball?" So I said, "Yeah." I'll, uh, Doc said, "I'll I'll be able to get out of the cast the next at a certain day." I just what we're going to do. I'm going to help you with the math, but you're going to play basketball. So I'm going to play basketball, and you're going to help me with the math, to pass the math, and not struggle to get a 65 or 66. I said, no, I'm going to help you, but you are going to do the work. I'm going to teach you. Fine. And uh, I ended up working my tail off in, in math, learning the Pythagorean theorem and the algebra and all that other stuff, E equals MC Hammer and all that good stuff, you know. But uh, <laughs> and I ended up getting like eight and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is not as hard as I thought it was. Hello, you know. And then the basketball was as equally as hard to learn, but as equally as hard work I had to put into. So my father would say, you, you get out what you put in. And I put the time in for the math. My grades went up. Everything, I started working in my other classes a little bit harder. They, those grades went up. And uh, the basketball was hard because running, really, I got to run. And it's timed. And then, and I couldn't walk into gum at the same time because I was like, you know, six four, hundred and seventy pounds, if, <laughs> if that. And and all the names that these kids would call me, and I was always head and shoulders bigger than everyone in my class. And I don't want to say now it's called being bullied, but back then it was like, you know, you get picked on, you got to stand up for yourself, you know. But um, I was on, I was, I played ninth grade on the ninth grade team, and then tenth grade. I was on, started on the JV for two, played in the JV team for two weeks, and the coach pulled me up to varsity, or six five on a varsity team. And like Levittown Division was was a very Levittown Division in Long Island was a good, uh, good school, a lot of tough, tough kids, tough kids, and then you learned by either sink or swim. Sink or swim is easy to say it. Sink or swim is easy to say it. And I the, the team wasn't really that good. It was senior laid, and I was a sophomore. Now I was the one that. Yeah, done. Grab the bags. Done. Grab the ball. You know, I was like uh, the goal, the goal for the the rookie type of thing. You know, so um, then I went to I went to camp that summer. I saw one in, in, a, in a newspaper summer camp. So I went to a summer camp at Long Island Lutheran. So I go to Long Island Lutheran summer camp with Reverend Ed Fisher, and and, and these guys and, and Reverend Ed Fisher was like he was he was the John Wooden of Long Island high school basketball back then. You know, and that man changed my life to to. To this day, I can I cannot thank him enough. God rest his soul. Like for the one year I had him, he brought me from uh, suspect to prospect. Mm. You know, and um, I went to the camp. I got the most improved player for the camp. My father said, "You're not going back to Division Avenue." We went and met with with with, uh, with Reverend Fisher, and he was as sly as a fox, smart as a fox. Well, <laughs> you know, Mister Don, you, your son's gonna have to come in here. He has to, he have to beat out this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. Uh, and I'm like, doesn't matter to me. I played against these guys in the summer league. I did okay against them, but, um, but my father had to come up with a, a plan, financial plan, because he was he was a retired construction worker, to pay for the school. And so I went to the school, and, and Reverend Vish, I remember clearly on the my schedule, my last class was gym with Reverend Vischer. So my last class, everyone was doing like English, science, social, I was in the gym with Reverend Vischer before practice. Doing drop steps, doing up and unders, doing mambo steps, dribbling the ball, learning baby hooks, left the hand and right hand, learning all the basics that a, a big man had to know back then that I still use today to teach the, the, the guys who I work with. 
<laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like uh, going to Lutheran High School basketball wise and academically was like uh, the Wizard of Oz. The first part of the Wizard of Oz is black and white. And after the tornado and the house lands and Dorothy opens that door and everything's in color. That's what it was like going to Long Island Lutheran High School. I was like, my God, the academics, the the, the preparation for college. You know, I, I remember going into social studies class and they're telling us we have to write a, a term paper, one and a half, one and a half spaces, typed, margins of this, um, this um, erasable bond paper. And I'm like, yes, Mr. Dunn, can I just copy it out of the encyclopedia and hand it in? <laughs> and like, they look at me like I have three heads, like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so it, it, it was, again, sink or swim. Yeah, what a great analogy of the Wizard of Oz. That that, oh. that puts it all in perspective. Oh, it it, it, it it changed my life. I remember the first, very first practice. We had to run. Um, they called we called them monsters. Now they call them line touches. It used to be called suicides. You know, but uh, there were time thirty seconds. You know, first two doesn't count. Dunn didn't make it. Everyone's looking at me. Doesn't Dunn didn't make it. Doesn't count. Everyone's looking at me. I have 15 guys looking at me. You mother. <laughs> These suicides don't count because of you. The football team captain, who was our, our starting forward, came up next to me, grabbed me by, grabbed me by the jersey, say, say two steps behind me. I'll never forget this. Todd Dodge is this guy's name. Said, two steps behind me. I say two steps behind him. I started making them. I started making the suicides after a four-hour practice. And then, they, 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 you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm equating this like going to like Marine boot camp, you know, I've having never experienced that. I can only imagine what it was like. But um, that was my introduction to Long Island Lutheran High School basketball and hard, hard work. Mm. And, and that that got me ready. That got me ready for college academically and basketball-wise. Different coaches, correct me if I'm wrong, in four years at Seton Hall University. Yes, yes. yes. And, and your final season with P.J. Carlissimo, who there are folks who, you know, consider him to be one of the greatest coaches ever, but he also has a reputation of being pretty much a, a hard person to deal with at times. How, how was it like playing under P.J.? Well, uh, having played two years for Bill Raftery and one year for, for – um, Bill's assistant, Hadi Mahan, we knew them. They, they, we knew those guys. They recruiters. They knew us. You know, so we knew what was expected. They knew what we could do. Uh, PJ came in, was um, the, he, he was brought in from Wagner. And for him, it was a big step. I think he was 34, 33, 34 years old, young coach coming from a Wagner, which was an okay program, he, he'd had some success there, to the Big East, which was big time even back then, when, back in back in the early 80s, it was starting to branch out and, and, and really become a powerhouse. Uh, the analogy I like to draw is um, 
you have your car. You have your car that you drive. The seat's where you want it to be. The mirrors are where they want it to be. You're used to it. You know, you know how the gas pedal works. You know how to tap the brakes. You know what everything. PJ came in, and we were forced on the fly. We had to change the mirrors. We had to change where the seat is. We had to get, get used to everything being different, different coaching style, different expectations, different everything. And uh, being a senior and having a certain level of expectations for my senior year, me and the other two seniors, we were like, okay, what is this? We, we, we couldn't understand what was going on, and we did the best we could. And it was, it was a very diff- it was a difficult season um, on the court and 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 I would say off the court, but on, on the court it was, it was a difficult season because we weren't really that good because we had lost uh, Danny Calandrillo, North Bergen, uh, North Bergen superstar. He was the Seton Hall's first Big E superstar, and uh, I played my my freshman, junior, sophomore year, freshman, sophomore, junior year with Danny. Danny was the leader. Danny was the Superman of the Justice League of America, you know. So um, he was the leader. He knew how to win. He wanted to win. He was the heart and soul of, of the Seton Hall teams that I was on the first two years. Without him, there's a huge void in leadership, and that kind of <laughs> contributed a lot to our not knowing where we're going. Being in the car and driving at night with no GPS, no uh, AAA trip tick back then, but having to get somewhere. And not knowing how to how to get there. Do you still follow Seton Hall basketball? Yes, yes, I, I follow. I do not like the gray, the Hall uniforms. Like I said before about the NBA uniforms, but I'm you know blue and white. You know, you cut me, I believe Seton Hall blue. You know, if I can go back, whatever they need for me, I got. If I can, <laughs> you need a kidney to help the team win here. Take one. You know, um, I want them to do well. I, I, I love my experience at Seton Hall, and I always want my my team to do well. Losing to Rutgers always hurts. You know, <laughs> we, can, we can win the NCAA championship this year, but we still lost to Rutgers. <laughs> you, know, you know, but they beat St. John's once. That's okay. They beat St. John's once. All right, they kind of take the sting out of it. I'm fascinated. You have been a scout for many years for the Harlem Globetrotters and their opponent, the Washington Generals. What do you you look for in a player that can play at that kind of exciting level? Uh, It's mostly, um, I do a lot of um, free agent camps. Like I'll go to Las Vegas and I'll I'll hit the free agent camp they have out there. I'll go to like the TBL tryouts. I'll go to the Canadian League tryouts. I'll go to different pro league tryouts. And I'll ask general manager, what are you looking for now? We need a small uh, jitterbug guard, less than five, uh, five ten, five eight, who's really quick. We need a, a big white guy who can, who can run the floor and bang aside. We need dunkers. We need, they will tell me what they need, and I'll kind of go out and see. All right, here's a here's a guy that kind of fits the bill. Maybe take a little video or send it to him. I like him. Talk to him. You know, so they give me what they're looking for. They give me their their menu, so to speak, and I'll go see if I can. Get the food for the menu. And I've been doing it for 30 years. And I probably placed about 50 players on the generals, generals, nationals, international all-stars, and Harlem Globetrotters. Alex Nora was on a team years ago. He's Jordan Nora's father. Jordan Nora now has an uh, NBA championship ring with Milwaukee, played with the Pacers. Now he's with the Toronto Raptors. So... The father, I had, I got him his job with the International All Stars. 
you know, uh, I just, uh, last week I saw three of the guys who I got jobs came into Rochester, met them at the hotel, got pictures with them. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's, it's paying it forward. It's paying it forward. I'm helping these young men pursue their dreams because no one did it for me when I was younger. I had no one to help me get, get a job or open a door for, for, for me when I was younger. So I'm, I'm helping these guys fulfill their dreams, you know, and people laugh. Oh, the Harlem Globetrotters. I want to play real basketball. You know what? The Harlem Globetrotters, 60% of the game is real basketball. 60% is real basketball. 40% are the tricks and the, and the, and the shots and the, and the, the weaves and, and throwing the confetti on him, you know, but it's a show, but it's a real game. Partly. So uh, matter of fact, when they were here in Rochester last week, they, the generals lost by three points. They lost, they, they almost beat the Globetrotters, which, you know, which is unheard of. Uh, it's certainly entertaining, and you—I mean, anybody who's played the game, when you watch those those games, you you know the talent that's involved there. Oh. There's some players oh. that maybe just don't fit into the the G League or NBA, you know, mm-hmm. you know, scheme, but they ha- they have all the all the skills um, of of some great players. Let's go back to 1980. Very disappointing when you make the Olympic team, and then there was the boycott. I always knew that I wouldn't play in the NBA. I knew I would. I knew I could play in college level. My dream was to play in the Olympics, and being named to the 1980 Olympic team was, was, was huge. I, I remember the coach telling me this, and, and I'm, I'm crying in the court. He told me Spanish, "You will go to Moscow," and I was like, "Oh my God, my my, my dream is realized!" And it's like, all right, and then. Uh, all the political things happened with the Russians defending Afghanistan and, and Jimmy Carter doing his thing and um, ended up having a boycott. And then Puerto Rico also uh, joined the United States and a bunch of other countries and joined the boycott. Puerto Rico did send, I believe, five boxers to the Olympic, but they weren't, they fought under the Olympic flag. But it was used because um, the Puerto Rican team at that time was the very best talent-wise team that they had up until that time, the 96 the uh, team that beat uh, in Athens that beat the United States. That was the best team of all time in Puerto Rico. But the 79-80 team, the, uh, the 79 team got lost in the Pan Am Games to the United States in the gold medal game. So I was named, I was on the, the national team after the Pan Am Games preparing for some, some tournaments and then um, the boycott come and it's like um, guys were told these 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 superstars in Puerto Rico, they would say, no, we're good. we want to go. We're going to fight. We're going to go. If you go, you'll, you'll never play. you never play. you never play here again. You'll never play. Obviously, you'll never play FIBA. you never play here again. Take, you know, keep your mouth closed and, 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 and go. You got to do this. And unfortunately, politics got in the way of, of many very talented players' dreams. And it was, it was a disappointment. A disappointment. But I didn't have a lot of time for disappointment because – I was right in college, you know, 1979, 80. Um, uh, so, I'm sorry, uh, September of 1980. I'm back to Seton Hall for my sophomore year. You played professionally in Australia. I played one year in Australia. That, that was, uh, it was, it was fun. It was different. It was fun. It was different. Um, you're the American and automatically you pick up two, you have two fouls before the, before the opening tap, you have two fouls on you. You know, and I was lucky to have a, a, a Seton Hall teammate of mine on my same team, Mike Ingram. And Mike Ingram uh, <laughs> played only one, played one year at Seton Hall. And he was huge when we beat Houston. 
he 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 was a, a walking double double. Him and Danny Calandrillo were, were were the heart and soul of that that that, that team. But um, luckily I had him over with me, and and it was was different. The style of ball was different. And it was is you go up and you have three guys hanging on you, and with an offensive foul on me, you know. So I'm like, all right, and then you got to take uh, time to get used to it. Beautiful country, nice people. Driving a side, different side of the road is different, you know. Everything, you know, the, uh, seeing the Southern Cross instead of the Big Dipper, Little Dipper was really cool. The the food with the the meat was very good because they're, they're the cattlemen, not cowboys, the cattlemen. That was but the, the can. I remember the canned soup being expensive, like the Campbell's can of, of um, tomato soup was like a dollar nineteen back then, and over here was like thirty cents, you know. <laughs> so it, it was it was different. It was an experience. I'd, I'd love. To, I would love to go back, but um, it wasn't in the cost because I was at Niagara University at the time as, as a grad assistant, and the timelines didn't uh, line up for me to go back again. So, but I was, I was very happy to have, have had the experience of going and going there, coaching there, working with the young kids uh, in, in in the town and in towns around uh, in Queensland, helping them get better, teaching them skills, and running camps. From your time period, from the time you played college basketball, who was the best center ever, in your opinion? So we're not talking Wilt, and we're not talking Bill okay. Russell, right? We're going beyond that. We're going right. from 1980 on, who was the best center that ever played the game? And you can have your reasons for it, too, obviously, okay. because uh, you're looking for different skills and things like that. Okay. The best player, I best center I had to cover in the four years at the Big East was um, Roosevelt Bowie from, from Syracuse. Mm. Roosevelt Bowie. I was uh, a pipe cleaner freshman, you know, 6'10", 205 pounds of soaking wet, and he was a beast, 6'11", 240. He played like like a uh, – it was almost like um, he was possessed, and he played like a wrestler. <laughs> and, and grabbing rebounds, running the floor, blocking shots, moving people out of the way. I've never played against anybody so strong, athletic, and fast as him. Uh, Patrick Ewing was tough. Patrick Ewing was tough. Akeem Olajuwon was just becoming Akeem. Because uh, my junior year, my uh, Seton Hall, we beat Five Slamma Jamma. First year, they went to the Final Four. And uh, Akeem was big, strong, quick, could jump out of the gym. You know, and, and I was lucky enough to have to cover him. But he wasn't the Akeem that he became. <laughs> Saying that, I think uh, uh, from 80 on, I think Akeem and, and, and Shaq were probably the best two centers of the, the pure centers from the 80s on. I know, I know there'll be arguments about it. I like um, David Robinson's skills, but I think Akeem was like more skills, more more uh, offensive armament, so to speak, more more <laughs> different weapons. He had more offensive weapons. Um, I, I think Shaq, how are you going to stop Shaq? But the, the, look what he did to uh, uh, the Dudley, what's his name, from the Knicks, when the Knicks played they showed it all the time and dunk it on him and push it, you know, <laughs> and you put three guys on Shaq and, and, and you still couldn't stop him. I would have loved, I'd love to see Shaq in his prime against Wilt in his prime. You know, I still think Wilt is the greatest of all time. Bond none better than Jordan, better than LeBron, better than everybody because his athleticism, his strength. And he could, he could, he could play into his fifties. 
I remember being in the 80s, teams were talking to him about coming out of retirement to play during the playoffs. But he couldn't because the Lakers still had one year in his contract, you know. But Lopez uh, still. Oh yeah, but um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I may have answered. No, you, no, no, it's great, way. great, great perspective, and I, I appreciate it. So as as we wrap up this edition of Sports Jam, talking about you know playing into you know, your fifties, you've been doing this for for three decades of of helping others. You still have the passion, don't you? You can hear it in your voice. Oh yeah. Um. I, I think it may be wrong. Since we passed the pandemic, I can say it. It's like a virus. Once you get in your system, you have it. And and if you can't get rid of it, like Rocky Balboa said, I still got stuff in the basement. You know? <laughs> and then I can't run and jump and do the things physically like I used to do, but I could teach others how to do it and do it properly. You know, I was a teacher for 30 years in the Rochester City School District, so I know how to teach. I know the, the, the terminology, pedagogy of teaching, both teaching and coaching, combined to both is the better both world. Is I can I can take the chocolate powder, put it in the milk, and mix it together, and make chocolate milk. You know, I can get I I have the ability, um, I can relate to players on their size. I've been there, done that. I can look at them eye to eye, their size. I played against the best in the world. Oh, I guess beat by them, but I, I played against <laughs> played against the best in the world in my time, and 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 I hung tough. You know, um, I I tell. I tell people like yourself, uh, I played in the era of the heavyweight boxes, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, George Foreman, right? I was Jerry Quarry. I was the Joe Bugner. You know, I was the guy that can get in the ring. I was good enough to get in the ring with him, good enough to, to get a couple of good shots in. 15 round, if I stood in 15 round, maybe, maybe it's the unanimous decision close. You know, I'm not going to get knocked out in the third round because I'll be damn. I'm going to get, I'll, again, I'll be Baki Balboa. I'll be getting up off the floor and coming after you. You're not going to knock me down and knock me out. But my my job was to contain the best I could, the opposing center. You know, and it was like uh, the bulldog. You see the bulldog biting the mailman on the behind. You know, when the mailman, when I was that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to outscore you. I'm not going to outjump you. I'm not going to outquick you. But I'm gonna bang you. I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make you work. And if I can neutralize you, and you don't get your 15 points a game, you get 12 or 10 points a game. I did my job. I did my job, and that's that's the way my style of play was, and that's how I teach the big men now. Because you know I'm not gonna be superstars. You're not gonna be. But you want to be one of those 12 on the team. You want to be one of those eight that get in the game. And the tools I'm teaching you is gonna get you in the game. You know the one thing you can say about. Dan Dunn, that that is just precious, is he's giving back, right? He's giving back all the things that he has acquired, not only from his playing days, but as a teacher, educator, scout. One last question. Can you watch a game without going, he's going to make it? He's not? He needs to do this? I mean, can you just watch a game and enjoy it? I, it's kind of hard because I, I go to a lot of local I'm in Rochester, New York, so I go to a lot of local high school, college games, and it's hard for me to be a fan and to, to sit and watch. Um, like, I'll watch Syracuse play. My wife's a huge Syracuse fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I have some very good friends who play the Syracuse. And I can watch the game, and I'll watch the opponent, you know, and I and I, I won't – I'll keep my mouth closed, and I'll be a fan, you know. I'll put for Syracuse because it makes my wife happy. You know, plus I don't play Seton Hall anymore, so that's good. But um, I, it's it's hard for me to be a fan of the game and not 
analytically or, or critically break these down. This guy pushed. Why, why are you not pressuring him? On the, the guard can't handle the ball. Get up on him, pressure him. Deny the wing pass. Get over the the sign the, 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 the offensive to the right. Get up to deny the wing. And I'm saying this in my mind. I'm like, why is the coach seeing this? And and so I gotta like take a step back or shift it or downshift a little bit, you know, because they're in the hot seat. I'm not. It's easy to be up in the peanut gallery, you know, throwing stones at whoever's making the calls. You know, I've been there, done that, but the passion's still there and 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 and, and the desire to help these guys get better and, and to see certain things not get done that, that that's back in our time, it was coaching one oh one. It's frustrating, but it's like, you know, I'm I'm not in that position anymore. I'm not in that position, so I can't say anything about it. That's why he is with the NBA's assistant coaches program, as well as scout for the Harlem Globetrotters, Washington Generals, doing all kinds of things for kids. He's Dan Dunn, and he's been our guest on Sports Jam. It's been a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Doug, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Hopefully uh, you got some good nuggets out of this and some good stories. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can hear all the past shows by going to wbgo.org slash sportsjam or wbgo.org slash studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Special thanks going out to Jeff Schick for hooking us up with Dan Dunn. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.